0: Hey, good morning, everyone. My name is Drew Collins. I'm the worship arts pastor here. And I want to begin this morning by saying that God loves you. He loves you right where you are, as you are today. Deal with it. (laughs) Hey, as note cards are being passed out, uh, we're going to begin the sermon a little bit differently today. So uh, you're going to get an index card. And on your index card, I'd like you to write down either one of the most life giving or one of the most hurtful things that someone has said about who you are. Now, this is going to be completely anonymous. Don't put your name on it. I don't want your contact information. But just write down either one of the most life giving or Hurtful things someone has told you about who you are. Now, I'm going to come over here and play some after dinner music for you so that you have a few moments to think and to write, okay? Go ahead. That's literally all I've got, so I hope you're close to being done. <laughs> okay, so you've had a chance to, to think a little bit, maybe to write something down. Again, don't include your name on it. Uh, when you're done, fold it in half and then pass it to an aisle. Uh, Austin and Pastor Joe agreed to be runners to pick those up. So if you would, just pass those uh, towards an aisle. And while, uh, while those are being collected, let me recap where we've been so far in this series. Uh, We've been studying Genesis. It's the first book in the Bible. And we're looking at God's story and the story of our origins. Each week we've explored some aspect of who God is and how we reflect God's in our own lives. In week one, Pastor Ike talked about the creation story from Genesis chapter one and pointed out that perhaps the primary way that we bear the image of God is that we have a conscience. We have the ability to think and to reason and to choose how to live. Last week, he led us through the flood account found in Genesis chapters 6 through 10 and described the parallels between the flood story and baptism. That we take on the image of Christ as we're plunged into the waters and our sins are washed away through his death. And then we're raised to new life in Christ as we emerge from those waters. Well, this week, we take a look at Genesis chapter 11. It's the story of the Tower of Babel. And we're going to see yet another aspect of God's nature and how we bear his image. Now, you may have uh, heard the story of the Tower of Babel before. But if you haven't, no worries. We're going to read it together. In fact, if you're not familiar with the Bible and church is just straight up weird for you, I just want to say thanks for showing up. Honestly, like, it takes a lot of courage to be a guest at church, right? Good morning. (laughs) It does. It does, especially if you're considering matters of faith and you're wondering about life and spirituality and religion and all of that. It takes a lot of bravery to show up on a Sunday morning to a church, So I just want to say thank you for coming. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Um, We're all trying to figure this stuff out. Now that's not to say that we have to start from ground zero. We rely on the Bible and we rely on the faith of those who have gone before us. It's simply to say that each one of us has our own starting point on the journey of faith. So if you're just checking this place out, thank you for being here. You're in good company. Now, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's dig in. By the way, if you need a Bible, after the service, you can pick up a free copy at the Welcome Center right through these doors. But in the meantime, uh, there should be some Bibles under the seats in front of you. If you would, open to Genesis chapter 11. Beginning in verse 1. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people, speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, which means confused, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world, and from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. We're going to focus on something very basic that's embedded within this story about who God is and about how we bear his image. And it's summed up in this idea. Words matter. Words matter. Language is important. It carries weight, significance. As the saying goes, sticks and stones may break my bones, but... Drop a piano on me and you win? Yeah. No, but words will never hurt me, which we obviously know is absolute garbage, right? Um, Words do matter. They shape the trajectory of our lives, whether it's the name that we give to a child or if if it's a statement that we've heard, like, I love and believe in you. So as we unpack this concept, here's what we're going to find in the story. First, God is a God who speaks. Secondly, God holds creative power in his words. And thirdly, as God's image bearers, our words hold creative power. Our first principle then, God is a God who speaks. God is a God who speaks. Okay, there's something simple yet profound that's hidden in this text. So if you have your Bibles in front of you, check it out and tell me, who is the only one with whom God speaks directly in this story? Man, I've taught 8 o'clock music theory to freshmen, and like this room got quieter than it ever was in there. That was amazing. This, This is really something. The only one with whom God speaks directly in this text is himself, is himself. And that tells us something really important about God. It tells us that it's part of God's nature to speak, to express himself, to disclose and reveal himself, apart from any created thing, apart from any human interaction. It is God's very nature to communicate, and not just back then, but today as well, A.W. Tozer in his book, The Pursuit of God, put it this way, God is speaking, not God spoke, but God is speaking. He is by his nature continuously articulate, and I love this line. He writes, he fills the world with his speaking voice. One of the great realities with which we have to deal is the voice of God in his world. It is the most powerful force in nature, indeed, the only force in nature. For all energy is here only because the power-filled word is being spoken. It is his speaking voice which predates the Bible by countless centuries. That voice which has not been silenced since the dawn of creation, but is sounding still throughout the far reaches of the universe. He finishes, God is here And he is speaking. Now, why does it matter? Why does it matter that that it's the nature of God to speak? Well, let me ask you how many of us want to know some aspect of God's will for our lives? Okay, how many of us are in a circumstance right now where we really could use some counsel that we can trust? How many of us just long to know that we are truly loved? That right there, that is why it matters that God is a God who speaks. Secondly, God's words hold creative power. When God speaks, life springs forth. When he speaks, creation unfolds. When he opens his mouth, power is released into the world. Starting in verse 7, come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. Now, in the story, we don't see exactly what God says as he implements his plan to mix things up with language, but we certainly see the effects. He shows up, says some stuff, and people literally scatter to the four winds. Now, I can't help but wonder how this played out. I mean, can you imagine like three guys on a work crew? They're like at the corner of part of the structure. They're, they're like lifting a stone into place. God comes down and he just points and he says Swahili, Mandarin, and Kentucky. Right? And then it's just a mess from there. Right? Or he's like, he grabs some angels and he's all, come here, come here, come here. Come here. You're going to love this. Watch, this is going to mess them up for centuries. And then he points at another work crew. With a couple of guys there and he goes, Broncos fan, Patriots fan. (laughs) It's like, yeah, that's going to last a long time. The point is that when God speaks, things happen. Romans 4.17 says that God gives life to the dead and he calls into existence that which does not yet exist. How does he do that? With his words. He calls new things into being by simply uttering a word. Isaiah 55, 10 to 11, it says this, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Even Jesus himself said, man does not live on bread alone, but on what? Yeah, every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. When he says something is so, it is so. When he says to you, I love you and I have chosen you, you're mine. There is nothing that can change that. When what God has to say about his world And about each one of us is the most important thing about us. Because he holds creative power and sustaining power in his words. Now here's the crazy thing. Every one of us bears the image, the imprint of God. We've said that God has creative power in his words. Because we bear his image, it means that like him, we have creative power In our words, although obviously not to the same extent. Has anyone created a universe this week? (laughs) But still, we, we have creative power in our words. Or as the Bible says, we have the power in our tongues to bless or to curse. We have the ability with our words to build up or to destroy, to impart grace to those who hear, or to place burdens upon them to speak the word, to sustain the weary, or to cast them down. Would you agree that that's true? Yeah, I mean, of course it is. All you need to verify that is a Twitter account, right? (laughs) Or a sibling, (laughs) or a pulse. We know, we know that we have creative power in our words. So then, like God... Our words hold creative power, and it's one of the most dynamic ways that we bear God's image in this world. If you've heard the story of the Tower of Babel before, you've probably heard that the story is about the people's pride and their fear and their disobedience. And while that's true, it's also about what they nearly missed out on because of those things. In Genesis 1, do you remember what God said to humanity? He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, right? We know that round one didn't go so well. And so then after the flood, what was it that God said to humanity? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This was was what was going on As we we come to the story of the Tower of Babel, he had just given given humanity a chance to fulfill their unique calling. Now, his call to them, it wasn't simply to multiply and fill the earth, but as image bearers who hold creative power in their words, his call was for them to multiply and fill the earth with his praise. He was calling them to bear witness to his glory in every part of the world, to be a people who speak life and who speak blessing wherever they go. But what do we find them doing? In verse 3, they said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. Then they said, Let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise... We'll have to do what God told us to do. Do you see that? Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. That was the idea. The people were using their creative power to tell a story about their place in the world that in comparison to what God had called them to be and to do was so much less. Can you see that? He was saying, I want you to go into the whole world and declare my praise. I want everyone and everything. I want all of creation just to resonate with my glory. And you are a big part of that. But they were using the creative power in their words to tell a different story. We find them using their words to create an atmosphere of pride and fear and disobedience. And it impacts their work so that they end up, in essence, saying, Hey, I've got a great idea. Let's all team up, let's caravan out to western Kansas, and let's make a tower out of Lincoln Logs. Right? So much less than what they were called to do. And can we not readily come up with examples in our own culture of those who use their words to speak life and blessing and of those who use their words to make the world a small, prideful, fearful place full of nothing but towers to themselves? As we reflect on those who built that tower, let me ask you, is sticking together bad? No, of course not, unless God's told you to spread out. Is it sinful to be afraid? I hope not. Of course, it isn't. That's part of the human condition to be afraid. But what we're called to do is to choose lives of faith over lives of fear. Is having a shared purpose wrong? Not at all, unless your shared purpose goes against God's purpose for you. And that's why God wouldn't allow them to stay put, because He knew the blessing. And the beauty that they were called to bring forth in their work and in their words. And that by staying put, they were not only being disobedient, but more importantly, they were missing out on the joy and the delight and glory of calling forth life and blessing throughout the world. They were missing out on lives full of greater meaning and purpose, missing the chance to learn how to do something that their first ancestors knew how to do, how to walk And talk with God in His world. So, God, in an act of mercy, separated the Broncos fans from the Patriots fans. He confused their language so that they could live into the fullness of their calling. As bearers of God's image, we're called to go into the world to speak words of life and blessing. Our words matter. Because they hold power. And this is where we get to the words that have been spoken into our lives. I just want to share a few of the things that have been spoken, and everybody over here just got nervous. Here's some of what's been spoken into our lives. a college friend told me that he thought that I could accomplish anything. You are stupid and lazy. my husband's nieces gave me an aunt card or an aunt card <laughs> on mother's day telling me that I was as dear to her as her mother you're nothing but a people pleaser I read one in the in the first service that said you have a pretty face but you're worthless. Listen, every one of us has received life-giving words. And every one of us have been just torn to pieces by words. Isn't that true? And wouldn't you agree that, that uh, we have done the same with our own words in different circumstances? Sometimes we've been the one to really give somebody hope, to lift them up, to keep them going. And sometimes haven't we also said things that we know are direct and pointed and are meant to do damage? We've all been there. We've all been there. Words matter so much because God speaks and because he has creative power in his words. So I don't know where this finds you today. I don't know where this finds you today. Whether you're walking in the door and the thing that that came to mind, the statement that came to mind was something that was just life-giving and that you're able just to, to, to rest In that and accept it as true on these cards there are a lot of words of parents saying things like you're strong you can do it you are beautiful and you're worthy to be loved on these cards are things that have been spoken you're good for nothing I don't want to see you again And I wonder where we're at today, each one of us, knowing that words hold power. I wonder where we're at today. The opportunity as we, as we wrap up this morning and get ready to come to the communion table, which um, this was on purpose. I wanted all of these statements to be on the table. Because whether it's it's something that you are grateful for and you can say, thank you, Jesus, or whether it's something that you're like, man, the trajectory of my life changed and not in a good way from the day this person said that. This is the place where we can bring those thanks. This is the place that regardless of what has been spoken to us, we can meet a Savior who knows us and who when he speaks gives life to the dead who tells the truth who sees us as we truly are and sees us as the people we are meant to be so i'm going to invite the uh, i'm going to invite the worship team up and i want for us just to take uh, a couple of minutes just to pause, just to reflect, just to think about the power of words that, that, that we've spoken and that have been spoken to us as we prepare to come to the table. All right? So let's just take a moment now just to, just to be still and to reflect.